Be the best rugby coach you can be. Welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Podcast with head coach Dan Cottrell, where you learn hints and tips from the rugby coaching community. Let's get started. And welcome to another edition of the Rugby Coach Weekly Podcast. My name is Dan Cottrell, and I am delighted to have with me Ian Didham's better known as Dids. Dids has been coaching grassroots rugby for over 20 years, as well as being a coach developer with the RFU, plus a leading light on the Rugby Referees Forum. He's written extensively about rugby and coaching, and he tells me he first started blogging in the late 1990s when the internet started to really get going. His speciality is the scrum, though he does coach across all types of rugby, so he isn't just going to tell us about exactly what a prop does uh, in the dark depths of the scrum. So it's with this in mind that I want to explore scrummaging for younger players in particular. So welcome to the podcast, Dids. Hi, hi, Dan. It's uh, really good to be here. Thank you. Well, it's great to have someone uh, like yourself uh, on board for this podcast, because I know you've got a real passion for scrummaging, but also a real passion for developing players who can scrummage in the future. So my question really is, do we need to change the way we coach young people to scrummage? And I'm thinking about players like Dan Cole, Ellis Genge, Tom Youngs and Andrew Sheridan, who are amongst the list of England internationals who weren't front rowers at the age of 16, but now are. This suggests we don't need to teach scrummaging until they go into youth rugby, which is sort of 16 plus. And over to you, Did. Do you agree? Um, fundamentally, I think, Dan, I do. I would have some caveats on the age of 16. I would actually bring that down by a couple of years. But on the whole, yes, I, I do agree with you. Um, when we look, though, at players like Sheridan um, et al., as you mentioned, these are obviously excellent athletes with good upper body strength and core. So the transition may have been reasonably straightforward for them, to be perfectly honest. Um, although... I think what it really demonstrates with uh, playing in front row, but scrummaging generally, is that all players from a young age need to develop these attributes, upper body strength, good core, etc. Um, because we never know what someone will look like at 16 when they're 10. So suppose what I'm saying is, uh, yes, I do agree that we don't need to get too technical uh, about scrummaging until maybe players are, I would say, under 14s and upwards. But nonetheless, there are some key attributes that I think all players uh, need to start developing from possibly a younger age to help them when they're there. But these attributes will be helpful in all areas of the game um, with good core, upper body strength, whether that is in defence, in uh, tackling and rucking and mauling, or whether it's actually even in attacking well as, as well as... Um, in contact, being able to take contact on good terms and the rest. So, though those sound like good attributes and one we want to promote, so most coaches have got uh, very limited time with their players. Are you suggesting then that, say, from under 10s onwards, they should be doing uh, lots more press-ups, sit-ups, and sort of physical agility in that limited time, or is this something which should be done outside rugby? Um, I think it's important, and you've hit on a really good point there about the limited time uh, we as community coaches have with our squads, whether they're under 10s or senior um, men or women come to that. Um, 
I think it's more a case of it's important to make any training fun, enjoyable and pertinent. And we don't really have the time to uh, go into uh, calisthenics and any sort of deep, meaningful um physical training as such yes uh, a lean towards some work outside of training could be pertinent but here i'd say really at a much older age group under 10s under 11s under 12 so you've got to go out and learn about life and just have fun really when we're at rugby so if there's ways and means that we can create some upper body strength training as part of a game in our training i think that's one way but let's not get involved with 20 minutes of press-ups and pull-ups and sit-ups and piggybacks and goodness knows what else because one that's really boring and two we just don't really have the time i'd much rather spend time with my players with a ball in hand playing some sort of game okay so that sounds that sounds good fun and i i like the idea of that the trouble is that uh, i i sense that uh, a lot of players who come to rugby are great athletes already and they're natural. They have a natural body shape to race around and um, play touch rugby or the elements of offloading out of contact. And then there's a group of other players who arrive who are our slower brethren who look like the props of the future then. They may not be. How do we make the game fun for them and keep them involved Um, because maybe they will be the flankers and centers of the later years, but at the moment, they are slow and they would struggle with that sort of fast paced enjoyable game that's uh, <laughs> i'm having a smile here a bit dan because you've just about described me when i was 13 years old um and some would say when i was 40 years old as well um <laughs> no I'd, well it's, it's a good question how do we keep the slower maybe less adept players involved i think it's a case here of in training developing training games that give them the opportunity to be involved i think in terms of what we do on the pitch um at maybe slightly older age levels we should i think be getting players to try and understand some game plans and work into a structure and a pattern that's not necessarily meaning you've got to be totally prescriptive obviously but nonetheless try and give them some guidance and it gives the opportunity for those larger players slower players to be involved at times Uh, in terms of what we do in training itself well we'd hope that um, we train as we play so whatever we're trying to achieve on the pitch in a game we'd actually trying to be doing also in training itself in the older age groups and we can start to specialize these sort of players maybe we can have time where we would concentrate on as we're talking about here scrummaging um, at, at younger age levels I still think there is a option a, an opening for scrummage training it's just that we shouldn't get too het up about the real technicalities of it all and I hope we can expand on this uh, shortly uh, why I say that but this isn't to say that scrummages shouldn't exist at all at under 10 under 11 I think there are benefits to be gained by scrummaging at those age levels just not getting too tied up with the technicalities of it all so uh, one of the things about uh, the RFU uh, in particular and other other national governing bodies is that they've they've taken scrummaging out to a certain extent but brought it in in another way and they've said that it's the nearest three or nearest five players to scrummage now uh, if the game is for all shapes and sizes at the age of 12 a larger player is stronger but isn't necessarily somebody who's going to get their hands on the ball as much suddenly their their usp to the game is taken away they're not going to be the ones who are going to sprint through to score tries, but they might win a few scrums. So are we saying that we've got to be careful 
to keep include them or to be careful to make sure that they don't just specialise in scrummaging to the detriment of the rest of their game. Well, I think this links back to something I, I said earlier in that we don't know what a 10 or 12-year-old will look like when they're 16 or 18 years old. So, yes, it's important that we keep our larger, slower, less adept maybe players involved under 10 because they might well be your front rows of, uh, of Colts. They might even be your winger. Uh, at seniors and we look at players like Jonah Lomu who was playing number eight in his youth rugby but ended up playing wing for the All Blacks in a quite destructive manner as uh, as we'd have seen back in the 90s so um, I think the answer to your question is that um, all players need to be able to uh, demonstrate good basic skills taking the ball forward offloading passing receiving finding a gap all the rest of these things, and all players need to be able to ruck and maul. And part of that is this this core strength, upper body strength, etc., that we're talking about earlier. So, just because someone is twelve and a bit of a lump and may not be a great centre, doesn't necessarily mean that that player shouldn't ever play centre, because one day he's going to have to take a pass and give a pass under pressure. And it's just all about part of development. And this wraps in, I think, about what is our focus at particularly younger age groups and let's say under 12, that's what we're discussing, is our focus on maximising our team's potential in every single game or is our focus on the long-term development of all, all our athletes? And personally, I would lean towards the latter. I'm trying to develop all the players that I am lucky enough to coach to be the best rugby player they can be, whether they end up being a prop forward, whether they end up being a winger. And despite what they may look like 10 years earlier in their life. So I think that's what I would say, is that core skills for everybody, wherever you may end up being. Yeah, I understand that. Now, uh, what I'm worried about is still this game for all shapes and sizes, because we are still creating players who are supposed to be all singing or dancing players, and yet we're taking away their... Their un- the uniqueness of the game. So a player, would, it'd be great if every player could pass uh, equally well off both hands and offload and make great tackles. But th- the reality is, maybe that's at, true at the top level, but at, at lower levels, some of these players just do not have the time or the athletic ability, but they will still really get a lot out of the game from having a good old tussle with somebody in the in the tight and uh, making a few rucks and maybe lifting somebody in the line out later on. Now, that could be the game for them, and they'll be very happy with that. They're not the ones who want to race around and uh, score all the tries. Now, here speaks a winger, of course, so I don't know. You may, may disagree with me. I'm just, I'm just worried about that danger, that we take away that opportunity. Well, I, I think ultimately it just comes down to the, the individual coaches involved in that they just need to make the game work for whoever they've got all the time. Because another extension of this, and okay, you're a winger, um, so do we look at a 12-year-old, an 11-year-old winger and say, you're a winger, son, stick him out on the wing, when the reality is at these, uh, these age levels, they possibly might not get the ball very often. So there's another player that is being excluded from the game. He's in the perfect position, in inverted commas, for his size and his speed and the rest, but he won't get the ball. So where does he get the fun and enjoyment from the game there? So I think it's just this thing about we need to give all players the opportunity to do, to do what they want. You mentioned earlier about the idea of nearest five. Um, I'm not hung up on that. 
that's what certain NGBs, national governing bodies, uh, want in their youth rugby, and that's fine. I don't make the rules. But maybe, yes, for some players, it might make sense to say, okay, for at the moment, yeah, you concentrate on being our front rows, etc. But that doesn't mean we need to forget that they have other skills they need to develop. And in the same way, our winger, without trying to digress, it would be wrong of us to just leave them out there and wait for the team to eventually get the ball to him. At some time, he's got to play in a position where he can get his hands on the ball and make tackles and all the rest of this. Assuming, of course, that that's what he wants to do. Maybe all he wants to do is stand on the wing and watch everybody else. Maybe that's where he gets his enjoyment. <laughs> and, I, and I don't think that there's a, a problem with that to a certain extent. And we can't expect all players to be equally involved. Some players are far more competitive than others. So let's uh, take this um, idea that we want to develop players who can play in the front row eventually, whether they start playing there under 13s or under 16s or later on. I'm, I want to just question the Tower of Power. Now, I think it's a good system. I'm just worried that it doesn't necessarily work on the things which are most important to scrummaging. What's, what's your thoughts on the Tower of Power's stance? Okay, uh, the Tower of Power, uh, for those that may not be au okay fait with the, the term, is basically a, uh, a system in a way, of just building one's body shape to best maximise the efficiency of scrummaging. Now, that sounds quite a pompous title, I'm sure. Basically, all it's saying is this is this is a way to set yourself up so you'll be strong and stable and safe when you're scrummaging. And it really applies to everybody in, um, in terms of a full scrum, of all eight scrummages. But it is taught from the ground up and the the premise that's given is you build a house with a foundation and you build it up and up and up and you eventually put a roof on it. Um, I know from talking to you before, Dan, you sometimes have suggested that we start with the roof and then we work down to the foundations. Personally, I'm quite happy with Tower of Power as it is. Building the foundations, starting with the feet, moving up through the legs, uh, lower back, um, the chest area and then the head and everything that's involved there to create a really good stable platform. As somebody that actually delivers Scrum Factory courses, I'd also have to say, of course, that uh, I believe in it because this is what I teach, but I do fundamentally believe in it. And I've actually seen the benefits of Tower of Power work really well. And an example here, and I'm quite biased because this does involve my own daughter, um, our local club where I coach devises, um, we go back three years uh, at a female under 15 team squad and they all started quite late and I think this is in itself an excellent example of late development into scrummaging, rugby is a late development sport generally anyway, but um, many of these girls didn't really start playing rugby until their very early teens or maybe 11, 12 years old. Um, typically, they weren't the players that have been around since under sevens and the rest of it. So their, their input to scrummaging was quite minimal until they started playing maybe at the age of 13. So these girls had probably been training for about 18 months and the coaches worked very hard on certain aspects, including Tower of Power and scrummaging. And I was lucky enough to be refing their first ever game against a local club. And the local club had been in existence with a, a girls team for several seasons. And uh, because it was the Devizes girls' uh, first ever game, we'd arrange that we would have uncontested scrummages um, just to make sure everything was safe. By the second half, um, I think both backs were quite interested in getting 
a little more involved. So I said, I agreed. This referee, yes, okay, we're going to contest his scrummages. Um, if there's any danger, I will immediately blow up and we'll reevaluate the situation. Well, I'm delighted to say that the, uh, the Devizes coaches have done an absolutely fantastic job because it must be said that for the first ever genuine contested scrummaging that these girls, including my marvellous daughter at tight head prop, um, obviously good genes and DNA there, um, absolutely blew the opposition away totally and utterly destroyed them to the extent that I actually had to penalise them one, one stage for pushing more than 1.5 metres. So um, I think that, sorry for rambling a bit, this is an excellent example of why Tower of Power really works when it's applied really well. You can take people that haven't scrummaged historically and in a reasonably short time actually turn them into a very, very efficient and safe scrummaging unit. Yeah, and I, I think that I'm not critical of Tower of Power at all. I I understand the the reasons behind it and the systems. And my th- my only thought is this: is that um, we build from the the base up, and I agree with that. And I think the body shape will turn out the same whether you build from the top down or the bottom up. Now, my problem is this: is that where every every scrum, you the first engagement you have with the opposition is through the head, the neck the shoulders and the core. Now, if this is not right, then no matter where you put your feet, you're going to cause yourself problems. The second thing is that when you actually scrummage, your feet don't stay on the ground in the same place that they started. So they need to move around. So I think that um, something which probably needs some further thought is how that that part of the game gets developed. Because we know that as soon as uh, you engage, your feet have to move around because they have to adjust because of the, the different weights coming from in front and from the side and from behind. No, they are very, very good points. Um, I think I might say there with your concern about the impact being with the head and it's the shoulders that take all the impact and how you train for that. Well, this is sort of like a fairly static tackle, really. So maybe over the course of time um, in the game where we're tackling and rucking and mauling to a degree, maybe this is where this more dynamic um, piece of part of scrummaging may well just be practised, as it were. So as people approach a tackle, the impact is made with the shoulders. As people approach a ruck and join the ruck, the impact is made with the shoulders. So I think there's potential here in the game as it stands before we start getting really technical about scrummaging. I think there's potential here for players to actually develop that that area that you're discussing. Now, this is just a theory. I've got no proof that this will be the case, but I think there is some dynamic issues here that are happening as part of the game. So I'm not overly concerned in itself that players will be thoroughly shocked to suddenly find this pressure coming across their shoulders because I think it happens in other parts of the game before that all happens. Coming back to the feet things, you said, well, that just comes down to training about chasing the feet. And there's ways and means of practicing that maybe. And this is a bit of a bugbear of mine. I don't really like scrummage machines because they're very static and they don't emulate what you've just described. And personally, I would try and create mini scrums in training where we might have two players scrummaging against one player or three players scrummaging against three players in two triangles. One triangle where you've got a loose head prop and a hooker at the front of the triangle and the other triangle where the, the tight head prop would be the, the, 
the, the top of the triangle and get those two pushing against each other in a scrummage training. And this is all part of the Scrum Factory uh, course that's offered by the RFU, and I'm sure uh, very similar stuff is done by other national governing bodies as well. So I think in a nutshell, there's lots of potential for both areas you've covered off, depending on the way you train and the way that their uh, players' development has occurred naturally anyway. So, uh, okay, leaving aside then, uh, we might, one might say the Tower of Power could start with the feet and, or the other way around, and I expect that the feet will probably still win. Um, you're now saying uh, that things like Scrum Factory as well help these players develop, and what, what sort of ages would you be starting these players to do this? I mean, we've talked about uh, 10 and 11. Should we be spending uh, a proportion of our training over a season with all the players doing these things? That's a really, really interesting question, Dan. Um, I've come to where I am today over well several years and probably the best part of a decade. Um, my thoughts are based on the fact that if I go back a decade or so, I did seem to find I was spending a lot of time with youth scrums, so under 14s and upwards, trying to fix what was perceived as some issues, a bit loose scrummaging, weak scrummaging, poor positioning and the rest. And I probably spent quite a bit of time with various age groups, and I'm not pointing fingers at any other coaches that may be listening to this at all. Um, I'll come to why I'm saying this in a minute. Um, I seem to spend a lot of time fixing it at the top levels, at the older age groups, I should say. So I thought, well, would it make more sense to get it right at the lower age groups so they've got good practice going through to these? So then I spent a couple of seasons working with under nines, as it was in England at the time. And after a couple of seasons of working with under nines, I came to the personal conclusion uh, that, frankly, very young players, so here we're talking eight-year-olds even, but even right through to under 12s in, some, in many cases, they don't really have the body awareness to understand what they're trying to achieve. We can do Tower of Power, we can do all the training. But when I say to a 10-year-old, a 9-year-old, well, what I want you to do is push your chest forward, big gorilla chest, yeah, stick your bum out, so duck bum, gorilla chest, all the rest of this, and, and, and flatten, your t- uh, flatten your back, push your tummy through, all this sort of stuff. At nine, ten years old, they think they're doing it. They genuinely think they're doing it, but they're not. And I think it's just that they don't have the body awareness. And this isn't a criticism of these players. They're just our society doesn't lend themselves to needing body awareness. So you can do all this really technical stuff with a very young player, and they might have it in their head, but they can't actually reproduce it. And I've seen this time after time after time. So I do think I've got some empirical evidence from a personal perspective anyway. So they, they, they just don't get it at those age groups. So my thoughts now are pretty much in line with how you open the show, Dan, in that you suggested under 16s. I personally think under 14s and above, and my example about uh, my daughter's uh, rugby squad, I think, in a way sort of supports this. I think from maybe under 14s upwards, you can start getting technical, work, really working on power power, really working on scrummaging, because I've seen it happen, and I think it's valid. Before under 14s, maybe not quite as technical, but I still think there's a position here, a place here to work on Tower of Power, but make it fun. There's elements uh, we could probably spend another whole podcast on just working on Tower of Power and the rest. (coughs) Pardon me. But there are elements here that you can introduce some of these core aspects of scrummaging in a fun way at much younger age groups, such that when they get to under 14, they've got some upper body strength, some core strength, and they have a concept of some of the body shapes we're talking about. 
so I think one of the conclusions that um, is made often about things like Tower of Power is that a lot of the core elements of it help across all of rugby. We can see that in rucking and mauling, as well as in the tackle or going into contact. So that that's good. And these players will develop these. And as you say, and I agree with you, younger players just don't have that athletic ability to do some of the things we want them to do. So perhaps pushing at scrum, scrums can be left out for quite a while. I mean, I understand why you'd want to have a scrum in younger age groups, if only just to change the shape of the game. So it looks like a different picture at certain points. And that's fine. And you want to have something which replicates what they might see on um, on the television, because again, that helps develop a bit more awareness. So I suppose the, the thing is that even if, and this is the last question to you, if let's say there was no scrummaging to under 16s and then you looked at players who are under 17 and onwards and said, right, we're going to learn how to scrummage now, would that seriously change the way that we scrummage or we perceive scrummaging when we get to adults? Would it make any difference at all or could we really leave scrummaging out of it um, until under 17s? Um. I think potentially if we didn't start until under 17s, by the time we get to under 20s, under 21s, it probably wouldn't make any difference at all. It's a late development sport. Scrummaging in itself is probably a late development um, technique and skill. Uh, it used to be said, certainly when I was young, which is a long time ago now, that uh, a prop didn't enter his real peak until his early 30s. Um, how that might well have been true then, I'd imagine that's probably come forward five or six years now, just with a better understanding of technique, body positions, strength and conditioning and all the rest of it. But yes, we probably could not concern ourselves with technical stuff until under 17s, and I think we'd probably get away with it. Where that leaves youth rugby, I'm not totally sure, because we come back to the, now we've got to engage these larger, slower players, etc., etc., for a far longer time in a game where they might not get that much opportunity to use their body size. You did touch on one thing that I think is very important and actually isn't to do with scrummaging, though. Whilst we have a scrummage at whatever age group, and this could be under 10s as well, Whilst we might not necessarily have to delve into the techniques of scrummaging and make it a technical area, and we might not even have pushing and shoving and the rest of it, what it does do, and I know you touched on this, Dan, it opens up space in the rest of the pitch for other players to develop their skills. And that might be where the prop that's playing in the centre gets a chance to actually sidestep somebody, to beat someone, to offload, and therefore get his enjoyment from the game, etc., etc. But just coming back to your core point about what age do we start? Yes, I could see that we could probably wait till under 17, but we need to keep those players engaged from an earlier age because I suspect the props of the future probably are starting to be pretty obvious by the time they're under 15, etc. All right, and uh, the trouble is that sometimes we 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 change the rules to suit a couple of players who have made the change when in fact we need to look at the large lump um, both in terms of what they look like and actually the numbers of players who are actually probably looking like they're going to be in the front row at that age and we need to keep them in the game and we need to keep the game suitable for all shapes and sizes and I think there's uh, I mean there's a whole different probably 
a different sort of argument about uh, the women's game because it uh, again there's different developments and how quickly they grow and change shape at the ages that we're talking about for boys does change and I'm I'm certainly not in a position to um, comment on that at this stage and I think it's something that I'd like to look at well it's, it's been brilliant because you've you've I've tried to challenge you and unfortunately you've come back with uh, good answers so I couldn't uh, I couldn't put you uh, in a spot but there's some great insights there certainly because of your experience of coaching through grassroots so thank you very much for all those uh, thoughts Dids. Oh, you're very welcome, Dan. It's been a, a real pleasure. And I must say, the last 30 minutes have really flown by. But then I'm talking about something I love. I played front row for 30 years. I was lucky enough to play pretty much all around the world, too, from, on a very amateur basis. It's just something I'm very passionate about. And I do think it's something that's unique to rugby union. And we would lose an awful lot if we lost scrummaging. And it's important that we keep people involved with the game and the f- props, particularly the props and hookers of the future, are nurtured and given the opportunity at the right time for them. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it's all about 15 players on a pitch having a really fantastic Saturday afternoon, Sunday afternoon, Sunday morning, coming away, having a few Cokes, maybe even a couple of beers when you're old enough. Who knows? <laughs> That's what it's all about. Yes, exactly. And uh, how much I agree with that and that we need to retain all these players in whatever guys. So brilliant. Really enjoyed that. And um, thank you very much again. Uh, Just to say that this podcast is released fortnightly on a Wednesday. Uh, Please head over to the blog tab on Rugby Coach Weekly to catch up on any issues or episodes you've missed. So thanks very much for listening. And thanks again, Dids, for your insight. Cheers. Not a problem, Dan. And thanks, everybody, for listening too. And we look forward to speaking to other coaches in the rugby coaching world and asking them all these sorts of questions about scrummaging, tackling, management of the game, how to deal with different players. So really enjoyed today's session and look forward to speaking to you all very soon.